0: Hello and welcome to Inside the Globe. I'm your host Amelia Hall. Today we will be talking about the NHS and free healthcare. I've been asked to keep this person anonymous. Hope you enjoy it. Well, I guess my first question is from Lindsay who was on our previous episode and she says, we are emerging from the biggest pandemic of our generation What have we learned that we need to prioritise in healthcare globally?
1: Um, It's quite a complex question, isn't it? But I I thought probably we've learned too that we need to work together globally, collaboratively to help each other out, really. Um, I think working independently is um, you don't get the best outcome. So I think probably coordinate working in a coordinating manner would help, you know, get the vaccine to a wider audience, the track and trace systems and um, just general overview of managing the pandemic. Um, I think no country can work independently in a globalised world. So obviously it's it is, like I said before, much better to work together. I think probably as well, we need to invest in sort of more collaborative working moving forward because obviously um, we probably could have responded better to the pandemic um, at the very beginning. Um, Also I think that it's highlighted that we probably need better research into um, vaccinations and preparing for the future Um, and also I think really greater accountability to governments and other countries, including the UK um, with looking at how we can forward plan for the future, and obviously more global research into um, general health across lots of different countries. That's all I can think of really.
0: Oh, it's a very good answer. Uh, is it? Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, My next question is, how did you choose your career? Is it something that you've always wanted to do? Or is it just something Um, that came to you one day? It isn't. It's
1: a bit odd, really. Um, I went into hospital when I was seven just to have my tonsils out. So as you know, that was a very long time ago. And I found it a really horrible experience. So I think it's really odd that from that moment, I wanted to do nursing and I've never wavered from that. Um, I think I felt very vulnerable, even though I was really young, I felt really out of control. But I do have resounding memories of nurses, two nurses in particular, being very kind to me and it stuck with me. So I wanted to be a nurse since I was seven. I don't think I fully understood what the role was, but I've never wavered from that. And I have to say, I would never do anything else. So fortunately for me, it gave me a good starting point um, as a naive seven year old, but I've stuck with it all these years. And again, I wouldn't do anything different. And obviously, as you know, that was over 40, 45 years ago. So I felt very privileged and lucky to be in a situation where I've done something that I really, really enjoy.
0: Well, what like qualifications and degrees did you need to get to get there?
1: And When I started, um, you needed five O-levels, so the GCSEs, you needed five, um, and that was it. No degrees, no diploma. The degrees came in much later, and I can't remember quite when, but sort of 20 years later. They moved forward with more of an academic programme with a diploma, and then they did the degree nursing, which you have to have a degree now, I didn't do my degree till I was about 37, 38. So they still made you do it, although you were already you a don't, nurse. I, yeah, you didn't have to. I think to keep up to date with current practice, I felt it would be beneficial. But then I, in my opinion, I don't think you have to have a degree to make a good nurse. But it's something I chose to do. Well, as an NHS
0: or nurse... What does a typical day look like for you?
1: Um, I think the great thing about it is there isn't a typical day. Um, There are multiple roles within the term nurse. So it depends really. I mean, you can work as a staff nurse, which is a qualified registered nurse. You can work as a clinical support worker. Um, You can work as a specialist nurse. You can work, you know, it, it, it covers a multitude of roles. you can work within the wards within the theater, within an outpatient setting it's so varied. Um, it includes obviously a 24-hour service so it includes nights days, long days, weekends, um, Easter, Christmas, any other holiday periods. so it's very varied really. Um, I think it's complex it's challenging. It, you see the best of people, you see the worst of people. Um, generally, from a, sort of from my perspective, I work within a ward environment. So you're helping people with activities of daily living, like washing and dressing, um, promoting independence within those areas. Depending on where you're working, it's, you know, it can be wound care, You're giving out medication, monitoring people's observations, um, escalating if they deteriorate, uh, liaising with doctors. And obviously in the current role I'm in, I'm working more in a clinic setting, supporting patients with um, a cancer diagnosis. And that can be anything really from emotional, psychological support or supporting them after their surgery. But it doesn't really matter what role you're in, you always act as the patient's advocate. You're there to support and advocate for them within whichever role you're doing, really. Most importantly, I think it's showing people compassion and care and that you're there for them. Well, what
0: I think my next question is, um, is healthcare actually free to the point of delivery?
1: Um depends how you look at it, I think. I don't know how much you know about the NHS, but it started in nine, in 1948 after World War II, and it was fundamentally to ensure UK residents can access a full breadth of critical and non-critical care. But you, I don't think you could fully say it was free um, to the point of delivery, because if you think about it, you have to pay for prescriptions Um, eye tests um, dental care um, and some aspects of long term care there's a cost implication so I don't think you could say it's entirely free Um, but obviously these charges are nominal in comparison to being funded by private suppliers um, and they're free to Vulnerable patients or patients that are, you know, low income, but I didn't. I don't think you could one hundred percent say it's free to the point of delivery.
0: Well, as we have a growing population, will some of the NHS's services will they stop being paid for by the taxpayer?
1: My honest answer is I don't know. Um, I'd like to think not. But I think um, the NHS sees about a million patients every day. So you can think about that large number. Um, and it employs about, you know, about, on average, about 1.7 million employees. Um, and it's about, the, f- as far as I'm aware, it's about the fifth biggest employer in the world. So there's a lot of people employed. provide a service as you said to a growing population so i think over time and this is just my opinion you might find that there's more subsidized care moving forward i don't know whether the taxpayer can afford to pay for everything for example you know if you think of the area i work in um, some patients need breast prosthesis um, and we currently supply for um, replacement for those for life. Um, and some trusts don't cover those costs. I think it's it's not necessarily the same trust-wide. So I think those costs moving forward, and there'll be other um, areas that supply a lot of um, things that may not be able to be covered by the taxpayer alone moving forward. But they're just my opinions. You know, it's stretched now. So goodness knows what it will be like in years to come.
0: Well, I guess this is a question that people are always a bit worried about. And, but will we always have free healthcare?
1: Again, I don't know the answer. I'd like to say yes. I think um, we've got a growing population. People are living longer, so we've got an increasingly ageing population. Um, there are advances in treatments, so people are living longer with um, cancer and long-term conditions, which is a good thing. But obviously, it puts more pressure on health care. Um, so I think that treatments, um, while it's good that things have moved forward and they're developing, it does put a pressure on healthcare. So again, I'm not sure whether it will always be free. I'd like to think so, but I don't honestly know the answer.
0: Well, I guess also if it stops being free, there's going to be a lot of people, like we will have not so much an ageing population because a lot of people wouldn't be able to afford it.
1: That's right. So it's a bit of a knock-on effect, isn't it? Sometimes you'll find, you know, if the people aren't getting um, free healthcare, then there's more of a, there's less of a, likelihood that they're going to live longer as you said because of course they, they can't access treatment so readily how could other countries benefit
0: from having free healthcare?
1: i think touching upon your free um previous question amelia i think that um, if you have to pay for a service then um, obviously you don't get an equal quality of service if you're having to pay for it you know, you, not everybody can afford everything. I think um, the benefits of free healthcare are that you don't get um, competition between healthcare providers and between practitioners. As you know, when um, I briefly lived in America, so I found the healthcare sy- system completely alien because I was used to the NHS. And you go, in, in my experience, and it was 20 years ago, so th- things could have changed, but you go to a practitioner and they offer you services that they can provide. And as a as a non-medical person, you wouldn't really know which was the best option. So that it, it seems to be a little bit more of a money-making or a money-producing um, experience rather than, I mean, in, in the UK, within the NHS, you can get a second opinion. And I'm not saying that um, it's perfect, but when you go to somewhere where it's more driven by business model, you do feel, I, I felt the difference in that, in that experience. Um, I think as, as well, free, child, free free healthcare. Also, I think if you have to pay for a service, obviously you'll get people that can't afford it. So you would find that they wouldn't pick up diseases quite so easily. So therefore for um there could be a cost implication on that if that makes sense because you could find that actually it's more of an more of a chronic condition that could have been picked up earlier if people are being managed through a an NHS service. Well, so I think sorry, go on. You can carry on. Oh, no, I'm just gonna say so I think fundamentally in, in effect, you know not having to pay or having things on the NHS would long term save lives because there's more of a surveillance that's involved whereas in um, countries where you're having to pay there's more of an inequality in healthcare.
0: Well the UK will always struggle to get more doctors and nurses in. How, yeah. how are we planning and how can we inspire the next generation of doctors and nurses and medical staff in general
1: I think generally probably um, we could inspire a younger generation by visiting schools um talk passionately about roles within the NHS that people really enjoy I don't mean just doctors and nurses you know there's radiographers occupational therapists dieticians physios there's admin staff, there's a lot of roles hidden within the NHS that people aren't aware of. They're only aware fundamentally about really doctors and nurses roles, but there's such a varied um, roles that you can, you know, be active in within the NHS. I think breaking down stereotypes, there's still even, you know, in today's generation, it looks predominantly like doctors and males and nurses are females and that's not the case there's um you know just breaking down those stereotypes really and, and make people aware what's out there i think improving grants and bursaries would really help there's been a lot of changes in that over the years so i think um, it's really hard to you know say you decide to change roles later on in life and you're really keen to do something within the medical profession. I think sometimes that can be hampered by the fact that people can't fundamentally afford to do that. I think um, increasing pay for the roles that people do um, would help encourage younger people and new people into the NHS. I think improve um, staffing would really help just to get a better experience for people within those roles. The trust I work for do, um, they do work experience within different departments. So I think encouraging people to explore and experience different roles would make them understand what a, you know, varied career you can have within the NHS. Well,
0: as you said about the stereotypes of men being doctors and women being nurses, how are you going to tell the younger generation that this isn't true? Like, will you bring in male nurses or
1: female doctors? Yes, I think you you could take those people into schools. And as I said, when they go, you know, young people engaged with work experience, or you could even, I mean, it would be really hard within the pandemic because obviously there's less interaction within within hospital settings, but you could make that part of the curriculum that people could visit or or have more work experience opportunities. I think it's really hard as a young person, and you'll be able to tell me this, to to know at 16, 18, um, what you want to do with no experience or limited experience of the world. So you can go down one career path and actually think, this isn't for me and then be, you know, a 20-year-old, 26, and think, actually, I want to explore something else within the NHS, perhaps. But because there's limited bursaries and grants, it's really hard if you've um, got a job that, you know, for instance, pays well to explore and experience other roles. Whereas I think if you have more of of an exposure to careers, and I don't necessarily mean just the NHS, lots of varied roles then it would give you a better understanding of of what's out there I think you know I think at a young teenage age it's really difficult I was lucky because I wanted to do nursing as I said I'm not 100% sure I really knew what it was but it was it gave me something to work towards whereas I think if you finish school and you don't really know what to do I think you get a you know, like I said, if if you had people coming into schools, you did have uh, male nurses and and female doctors that were passionate about the roles, explained to you what they were doing, what they enjoyed, the challenges of the roles. I think it would it would encourage people to go into those jobs for the right reasons with a better understanding. Well, this kind
0: of links with Lindsay's question, but what does the nhs need to do to improve on the health service um
1: i think there's no real easy answer to this i think encouraging more people into the nhs i think um it's quite a difficult one really because when you're dealing with humans it's quite a predictable and unpredictable sorry environment that you're um working with. So it's hard to second guess and prepare, you know, you can have um, treatments and a patient journey and a patient experience, but that, that is different for each individual. So you're working holistically. So when you're looking at the NHS and improving it, um, it's very easy to say throw money at it, in my opinion. Um, I think probably, and I've got limited experience of the business world, it may be slightly more um, predictable but in healthcare when you're working you know we work very um, closely with pathways and targets and we get fined for um, not meeting targets but when you when you're working with an individual it's really hard to map out a patient journey it may take somebody um, longer to adjust treatments and recover than it would somebody else so obviously if you're looking at it from a cost implication or a target implication, it can take longer for um, some patients than others and that will have a cost implication. I think listening to people that work in the NHS would help um, to get a better understanding and improve services. Um, And I think improving, um, you know investing money in certain services rather than, um, in my understanding and experience, um, some services, you know, it's done very much as an independent thing. So some services might be better funded than others. And I think if, um, as I said before, if they listen to people working in those environments, you may find that funding would be better suited um, in some services rather than others, which would improve the NHS. Um, and I think probably people working in senior roles um, who understand the demands of the NHS would again improve the service.
0: Well, how can we make healthcare more sustainable as an individual, as an NHS staff member, and what can the government do?
1: I think as an individual... um, not to abuse services. And I don't mean that to sound hard. Um, if you look at um, records, there's, it's reported that 20% of all outpatient appointments go to waste because patients either cancel or just don't turn up. And um, that's recorded figures. But I know from my own experience that we, I'm, I'm exposed to probably about six to eight clinics a week And I'd say on average a week, about five people just don't turn up. So they've gone to their GP with a condition. Um, They have to be seen within a two-week wait target. So the trust is under pressure to see that person within two weeks. And then, like I said, in my experience, I'd say on average about five times that person just doesn't show up. They don't ring to say why, they just... And it's a wasted um, appointment that somebody else could have had. Um, I think, um, again, without sounding harsh, there could be a charge for cancelling at short notice or not turning up. I think that would make it more sustainable. Um, I'm not necessarily saying I agree with that, but I think because it's a free service, um, people have are com- complacent and I don't think they would abuse it quite the same if there was a fine I'm not saying everybody but if you turned up from an appointment elsewhere you know, for the dentist for instance if you don't let them know within 48 hours then you get charged for that and I think it would make health service more sustainable if we weren't you know having the costs for um services that weren't used I think um I think Probably individuals could be more responsible, um, returning things back to the NHS. I know it's hard within the pandemic at the moment, and we may not want everything back, but the number of um, things that aren't returned, like crutches that could be reused, um, people just keep hold of them, or I've personally seen them on the tip, and you're thinking, you know, they could have been returned to the NHS. Stockpiling medication sometimes I know you pay for prescriptions in some instances, but um, I've experienced patients having paracetamol, for instance, to take home, which you could pick up from um, a pharmacy or a supermarket for a fraction of the cost. So I think all of those things would make it more sustainable. Um, I also think probably better understanding of um, the individual of what services what services to use? So knowing when it's appropriate to call an ambulance, I am aware of a, on a personal level of people calling ambulances that may not have been quite appropriate, and that comes at a very heavy cost to the NHS. I think um, you know knowing when to use A contact a pharmacy, then using appropriate services would make the NHS more sustainable. Um, I think going back to your question how can NHS staff make it more sustainable, probably um, not wasting resources, recycle thing, things when you can. There's a lot of waste within the NHS because of lots of things are single use for obvious reasons, they need to be sterile We don't want to have cross-contamination, but where feasible, then we would always recycle, in my experience. I think to sustain the workforce, then I think, you know, a lot of support to junior staff and colleagues in general, really, training, um, well-being at work, make people feel valued. A lot of... um, the NHS is run on goodwill um, people working longer than they should and that expectation so I think that you know you'd keep more staff if people felt more supported and valued I think that's a really fundamental one um, or oh, from the government point of view that's um, where do I start <laughs> without getting too political I think. Probably things like um, centralising key services such as procurement. So all trusts um, order the same thing individually. So there is um, a lot of people in a lot of trusts probably all doing the same thing. I think probably, and again, these are just my opinions, if you centralised more ordering, then probably you could drive down costs with the buying power of the overall NHS, if that makes sense. So uh, that would make the the NHS more sustainable. Um, I think, from my experience, um, the introduction of some form of all-party parliamentary committee would help. um, Working with staff groups within the NHS, I think, In my experience, it may stop the interference of politicians in terms of every time a new party gets in, there is a reorganisation of the NHS and it changes policies, working practices, and that has a cost implication and has effects on sustainability. Um, I think it causes confusion to staff when that happens um, and it also has an effect on people leaving with different policies, different um, working practices, um, has an effect. Um, I think the government, again, could affect training bursaries to support ongoing training for staff members, but also encouraging new people into the NHS. Um, And then on a different slightly different vein I think probably if we opened GPs for longer periods of time and made them more accessible or more readily available um, walking centres then I think people wouldn't go to A&E for minor ailments um, you know and waste resources in quite the same way because they don't know where to go so they turn up at A&E with something quite minor so I think all those things would help sustain the NHS in my humble opinion. If you need anything editing, let me know. Okay.
0: (laughs) Thank you for listening to that episode of Inside the Globe. If you have any questions about that episode, or if you would like to hear someone talk about a theme or idea, or you would like to speak about it, then please DM me on Instagram at Inside the Globe. Our next guest has not been confirmed yet, but I will let you know before next episode. Hope you enjoyed it. Bye.